Life can be a challenge, a race, a journey, a competition. It can be filled with struggles, battles, testing, and trials of all kinds. But you can endure, overcome, and succeed in whatever comes your way. God gives us all that we need to live a successful life when we focus on Him and choose the path that He set out for us. He designed the pattern for us to live by. He shows us how to avoid the things that trip us up and can lead to dead ends. He encourages us to keep going and to be at peace as we press on. So forget the pain and troubles of the past. God forgives us when we fail, and He promises to meet all of our needs. You can go the distance when you set your eyes on the prize and discover how to win within. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And for all of you who are online, I am so grateful that you are back. Thank you so much. One of the things that I want to bring to your attention is those communication cards, connect cards that we talk about every Sunday. Actually, they are very, very important. It might be that over the span of weeks or months, you think, oh, I'm not even going to do this anymore because they probably just toss it. They probably don't even look at it. But actually, every one of those cards that are filled out electronically, we keep and we process and there's a reason. Those cards help us track where we're going, what we're doing, what, who we're reaching. And, and in fact, one of those questions that are asked is, how, how many people at your home are watching online right now? And when you fill that out, actually, that means a lot to us. We really track that week after week, and it tells us how many people that we're, we're reaching online. So if you haven't filled out the card, would you do it electronically? It would really mean a lot to us. And even in person, it is important to us, especially all of you who are our guests. I want to welcome everyone that is in person today. There are so many people that are coming back on all the campuses. So I'm going to welcome all of our campuses and everybody that is in person. Last week, I told you that we were at that time about 59, 60% of our pre-COVID attendance had come back. And last week we went over the 60 mark, but the goal in the month of June is 65%. We're trying to get everybody back. And we know it's going to be incremental, and we're asking for, see if we can reach a goal this month of 65% of our pre-COVID attendance to be back. Now, what that means is 300 more people that have not come back yet during the month of June comes back. And so I'm asking that you and your family be a part of those 300 people that come back in the month of June as we are trying little by little to finally get everybody back. You know what? In every service at the Sugarland campus, I'm seeing our doctors here. And some of our doctors have masks on and some of our doctors have no mask on. And if our doctors can come back, maybe you could come back too. You're going to all the stores. Maybe you need to come back to church as well. We want to welcome you and encourage you to come back in person. It is crazy uh, how... Uh, how many people are so worried about so many different things? I read a story of a, of a woman who was reading an article about an incurable liver disease. 
Now, she's reading the article, and the longer she reads the article, the more she becomes convinced she has that disease. She has an incurable liver disease. So she immediately goes to a doctor. She goes to all the tests. He, all the test results come back, and he says to her, I got great news for you. You do not have that liver disease. And by the way, even if you had the disease, you wouldn't know it because there is no pain or discomfort that ever comes as a part of that disease. And she said, oh, no, those are my symptoms exactly. <laughs> People struggle with guilt and struggle with worry and struggle with so many things. Isn't that right? And how many of us really from day to day struggle from time to time with the worry of our own life? Worry because of a test that's coming up or, or a business deal that's going down or a girlfriend or boyfriend that was walking out or old age creeping in. Whatever it is, all of us have issues and problems that we're dealing with. And we're tempted to give ourselves over to the worry of our life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The Bible actually says that worry is a thief. And Jesus says the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy but Jesus said, I've come to give you life and all of its abundance. And I want to talk to you today about the issue of worry. We're in a new series, and it's a short series, just the month of, July, of June, in which we're talking about winning that war, that battle within. How to win within. And last week, Paul, in this section of the book of Philippians, taught us about a pattern of successful living. And what Paul taught us in this pattern that he lays out in the passage of Scripture we were in, he says, you need to go back in your life. You need to go back to those individuals maybe you offended or offended you. Go back to the pain and hurt that you've been through. And you need to resolve it. You need to, to forgive. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to get on the other side of it and then leave it. There is a moment to leave your past. You need to walk away from it and put all of your attention, all of your focus upon the future. Here I go. And he said, this is the pattern of success. And this morning he talks about the issue of worry. And as he talks about this issue of worry, we're going to discover the Bible teaches us in many places that the whole battle of worry is a battle of the mind. And so what Paul is going to teach us in this passage of Scripture are four key principles for a winning mindset. And the very first principle that he talks about is you cannot worry yourself into a better life. No matter how much worry we participate in, it does not improve our life, not one iota. You cannot worry yourself into a better life. When did worry ever help your marriage? When did worry ever help your relationship with your children or, or with your parents or anybody? It never helped you. It never took you up a notch because worry can't do that. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, be anxious about nothing. Don't worry about anything. He doesn't say, okay, only worry about half of what you're worrying about now. Only worry on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That is not what he says. He says, don't worry about anything. And by the way, it's a command. 
Now listen, God would never command us to do something that we can't do. By the fact that he commands us to do this, it is obvious we are able to actually reach this place in which we have stopped this whole pattern of worrying. And in fact, we can eliminate all worry from our life if we choose to do that. Now, Paul is the one who is speaking to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what is interesting is that Paul, at the moment he is writing these words, he is in a prison and he is awaiting word about if or when he will be executed by the Roman emperor. He didn't know which way it's going to go. And Paul, in this moment, in this condition, says, don't worry about anything. I came across this story. Uh, it's an AP, Associated Press, story of a man who in uh, August of 2010, a man that lived in Massachusetts, 75 years of age, all of a sudden, out of the blue, suddenly begins to get this cough. He's, he's got this cough. He, he has discomfort in uh, his left lung, and he has shortness of breath. He is really getting concerned. So he goes to the doctor, and when they take an x-ray, there is a mass there. There is a dark ominous spot there. And when everybody looks it over, several of the doctors looked it over, everyone agreed, this is probably cancer. And you need to have an operation right now. So he had the operation. They went in, opened up that lung, and it was not cancer. He didn't have cancer. You know what he had? He had a pea, P-E-A, a vegetable. He had a pea in his lung. I guess he was eating peas. And most of them went down into his stomach. But one pea somehow got into his lung and it had now sprouted. Yes, I'm not making this up. This is a real story. Now, you know what? I could have understood this. I don't get the whole pea sprouting and now he's got a plant that is growing in his lung. I don't get that part. I could get it if it was a piece of okra. Of course, it's going to mess up your lung. It's going to mess up every part of your body if you eat some of that stuff. But a little pea and it sprouts. And so why do I bring up the story? Because if there is something going on in your life, it's coming out of left field. I don't understand this. I don't know. Don't panic. Trust God. It could be a pea sprout, and that's it. So trust God and don't imagine the worst. The Bible even says to us that worry is a learned behavior. If it can be learned, it can be unlearned. Worry in your life that is dominating your heart, that is dominating your emotions, that is dominating your life is a learned behavior. And if you learned how to worry, you can learn how not to worry. And so the very first principle that he gives us is this. Worry is not going to help you. It is not going to improve anything in your life. You need to open your mind and your heart right now to decide, God, I'm not saying I'm never worrying again, but I'm saying to you, I am open, I am willing. Would you teach me how to not worry? That's principle number one. Principle number two is simply this, worry less and pray more. And look at what he says in Philippians chapter four, verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, 
and with supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He is saying, you got two things going on, worry and prayer. And the problem is worry and prayer cannot occupy the same space. Make the decision to pray instead of worry. So what I want to do is illustrate the point I'm trying to make. And I want to do it with these three jars that you see behind me. This jar represents your mind. And it didn't dawn on me until this morning when I looked at it. I'm not trying to say you have nothing inside there. I am, I'm not trying to <laughs> speak for yourself, Mark. No, I'm not trying to say that there is nothing inside your brain. But this represents our mind. Now, what happens to us? I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe it's this afternoon. Maybe it's Monday or Tuesday. But what every one of us in this room know, something is going to happen. There's a problem that's going to happen. Something's going to pop up from somewhere. You didn't expect it on Sunday morning during this message. You had no idea this was coming, but here it is. So let's just imagine it's Monday and all of a sudden there's a problem. The yellow sand represents worry and the blue sand represents prayer because blue is my favorite color. And so there is worry and there is prayer. Now, here we go. Something's popped up. There is a problem that has emerged. And what do we usually do when it happens? Oh, my goodness. I did not realize this was going to happen. Well, I, I don't know. Is, I don't even understand this. Is this a big deal or not? Maybe I need to look online. If I look online, I'll get a better idea of what I'm really facing. Oh, my soul. There are people that have actually died from this. I cannot believe it. Maybe I'll die from this. But maybe I won't. Probably I won't. I'll tell you what I got to do. I'm going to have to call some people. There's some people that I think could really advise me and help me. I have got to get this problem solved. I've got to work on this and work on this, and I will get to the other side. So what have you done in the process? You have filled your mind with this issue. The problem is, is that prayer and worry cannot occupy the same space. And you're thinking after you've gone through all this process of debating and talking to people and looking online, oh, you know what? Uh, that's right. I should be praying. I know. I will pray. Oh, God, would you help me through this problem to get on the other side? In Jesus' name, amen. I've had so many people that have said to me, you know what? I prayed and nothing happened. Did you know I've done the same thing? I prayed and nothing happened. But the problem is, is that prayer and worry can't occupy the same space. And if what our immediate issue is, what our immediate reaction is, is to fill our mind, our heart with all the problem, trying to solve it, trying to get information about it, trying to talk to other people about it, trying to imagine, is it going to be life-threatening? By the time we get to the end of all of that, and then we stop and pray, it's about this much. No wonder the prayer isn't affecting us in a positive way. So let's start over. God is saying, here's what I want you to do. You have a problem that emerges. Don't think about the problem yet. Don't worry about it. Don't do any research for, but first go to God in prayer. God, I'm coming to you. I don't even understand this issue. It may not even be that big of a deal, but God, here's what I want to say to you. I trust you. I believe in you. 
I have watched you my whole life pull me through one problem after another after another. I have seen you come through for me. And I know you're going to come through for me again. I know good and well, God, you have a purpose for this. You mean this to be good in my life. And you are powerful and you love me. Oh, God, I know you love me. I know you will help me. And God, I look to you. I know that you are the source of my rescue. I don't know how I'm going to get to the other side, but God, right now, the only thing I can think about is you because I know you are the source of my rescue. Now here, this is what you've done. You don't even know this problem. You don't even know the extent of the problem. But here's what you did. You filled your mind with the truths about God. You filled your mind about the provision of God, the power of God, the greatness of God, and your dependence upon him, and how you, you have seen him come through in your life. Time after time after time, you filled your mind with that, and worry and prayer cannot occupy the same space. So now, God, let's take a look at this problem but all the while you're putting this problem, you're saying, oh God, see, I, I know, I know you're going to see me through this. In fact, I can't even worry. I already know what you do. I know how you do it. I already have seen it in my life. So God, I'm just asking you to take this problem and help me. You see, this is actually what Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 is saying. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Fill your mind with prayer about the nature of God and the, and the history of God in your life and the deliverance of God in your life and your love for him and his love for you. Fill your mind with that and then there won't actually be a lot of room left to get all upset about the issue because you already know God's going to take care of you. This is the goal. This is the idea. And the Phillips translation puts it this way. When you pray, tell God every detail of your needs. So God, here it is. Here I'm bringing this to you. Help me to better understand it. I'll learn more. But as I do, I bring everything to you. For peace of mind, instead of panic, pray. And here's the truth. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. So the Phillips translation is saying, be specific. God, here is what I'm asking. I'm asking you to turn this thing so around, it becomes a blessing in my life, becomes a blessing in my family's life. There are people that are watching my life right now that I am hoping will come to know Jesus as their Savior. When they watch how I am responding to this moment, they will be stunned by it. They will be amazed at my God and how my God rescues me, delivers me. Give him every detail of what you're hoping will happen in the midst of this moment. This is what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 is saying. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is a real thing. It happens, happens several decades. Every so often, a, the insurance companies will do a series of, of interviews and uh, uh, studies because they want to find out what causes people to die early. 
It's within their best interest to understand what markers to look for whenever they are going to fill out life insurance policies and give you life insurance. And what they've discovered, and it's been several times, this is not just one time, but several decades in a row, what they discovered is that those people who attend church on a, at least once a week. Those people who attend church at least once a week. I mean, online, that still counts now. It's still COVID season. Once a week, live 5.7 years longer than people who don't go to church. Did you know that? You come to church once a week, at least once a week, you will live on average 5.7 years longer than people who don't go to church. They also discovered this, that when people bake pies and cookies for their pastor, <laughs> it's 20 years extension of life. It is uh, it's shocking. It is shocking. Now, the pastor dies of sugar diabetes, but the, <laughs> you live longer. Now, why do people live 5.7 years longer by going to church? Did you know that worry is one of the chief worry and fear and anger. Chief reasons why our immune system gets destroyed. Worry destroys your immune system. It's called an emotionally induced illness. It means we have a real illness, but we have a real illness because we have emotions that are raging inside of us that are actually solely but surely killing us. And all the worry that we go through, and some people, they worry all the time, even and when they're not worried, they start getting worried that they have missed something that they should be worried about. There are some people just, so, just worry all the time, and that worry actually is killing you. It's destroying your immune system. But people that go to church on a regular basis and they hear sermons like this about how we can trust God, how God comes through, how much he loves us, and learning how to pray and, and learning how to trust. Our trust in God actually short circuits worry. That's what I'm trying to do right now. It short circuits worry in us. Wait a minute, why am I so worried? I don't have to be worried about this. There's a God, he loves me, he cares for me, he's always come through, he's gonna come through again. Why am I worried? I'm not worried, I am trusting God. And what happens is over the course of a person's lifetime, they end up living 5.7 years longer simply because they learn how to trust God and it makes them live longer. So Paul is saying, secondly, worry less, pray more. And the third principle is this, develop a thankful attitude. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Did you know that the healthiest human emotion that we have in our bodies is an attitude of gratitude? I did not know that before I started this message. The healthiest human emotion is an attitude of gratitude. Having a grateful attitude actually increases your immunities physically. The more thankful you become as a human being, the greater your immunities. I didn't know that either. 
And here's what I discovered. Scientists and researchers in the field of neuroscience have discovered that gratitude can have such a powerful impact on your life because it engages your brain in a virtuous cycle. And once you start seeing things to be grateful for, your brain starts looking for more things to be grateful for. And what you are actually doing is training your brain. I am married to the most thankful human being that I've ever met in my entire life. It's just the truth. I I hear Kathy talk about how thankful she is about so many things. To me, she tells me how thankful she is, and she talks about other people, how thankful she is. She's the most thankful human being I've ever encountered in my life. She is going to live to 200. And what they're saying is, is that you can begin a cycle of virtue so that your brain is now looking for more things to be thankful of. And the more things you become thankful of, the healthier you get. The more you worry, the earlier you die. The more thankful you are, the longer you live. Gratitude gets the focus off our problems and gets the focus on our benefits in our life. And the end result is that our stress level goes down and our peace of mind goes up. I want to stop worrying, don't you? I want to be thankful for literally everything. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says this, give thanks in all circumstances. Now circle the word in because this is a very important word in the verse. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now he is not saying give thanks for all things. He is saying give thanks in all things. It's a very important difference. We are to give thanks for every good thing that happens to us because it has come from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James chapter 1 verse 17. For every good thing and you and I have a ton of them. We have so many good things in our lives. We are to give thanks for those good things. But not everything that happens in our life is the will of God. It's not God's will for us to sin. If it was God's will for us to sin, he'd be the author of all sin. But James chapter 1 says that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone else. For everyone is tempted when they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed. It's not God. You can't blame God for the sinful choices we make. We cannot blame God for the sinful choices somebody else makes. Those choices are not the will of God. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can thank God in those times. Not for them, but in them. And why? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God will take anything, whatever it is, no matter how bad it is, and turn it around for good in our life. 
even our own junk and even what other people do. God will turn it around for good in our life for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. And if you know Jesus, that's you. And God has said, no matter what you face, I will turn this around for good in your life, for good in your family, for good of those people that are around you. So be looking for the good because it's coming. And you can be thankful in everything because God's going to turn it around for good, for, for good in your life. And so he says, whatever you are going through, whatever you are facing, whatever you are, are, are having happen in your life right now, be thankful to God because God is using this. Step three, begin developing the art of thanksgiving in your heart so that you become thankful even in every bad thing that happens because you're just waiting for it to turn around for good. Here is number four. Mind your own mind. Tommy Newberry wrote the book called The 4-8 Principle. It's worth reading. And the 4-8 Principle is about Philippians 4-8, the verse I'm about to read to you. But notice what Tommy Newberry says. He says, the battle you wage against your human nature is an invisible one that will be won or lost in the mind. Minute by minute, hour by hour, in the hidden workshop of your mind, you are constructing thoughts of good or evil, depression or joy, success or failure. You're writing your own story as a human being with each subtle and soundless thought that you think. And he's right. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What we give our mind to, what we give credence to in our mind becomes who we are. What dominates our mind decides our attitude and our level of peace. Did you know that fire ants are not native to Texas? And it's hard to believe they're everywhere. Surely when God created fire ants, they must have started in Texas. That's how I feel about it. They're just everywhere I turn in my yard, I got to keep fighting those fire ants. But they're not native to Texas. And in fact, did you know there were no fire ants anywhere in the entire United States until the 1930s? There were no fire ants in, in the country until the 1930s. So how did they come? Well, fire ants are native to South America, and there was a crate that there was somehow some fire ants in the crate. I don't know how it happened, but there were fire ants in the crate. It was shipped to Mobile, Alabama. And the crate was taken off the boat. The, it was opened up, and the fire ants got out. And when they got out, they stretched their arms and said, this is a good place. I am going to have so much fun here. And now fire ants in the last just 90 years, it's all it took was 90 years. 90 years later, there are fire ants everywhere in the United States, just covered everywhere. So why bring it up right now? Because every negative thought we entertain in our mind is a fire ant. And it is biting our soul. It is biting our life. It is trying to bring us down. It is putting poison in our system. Every negative thought that we are entertaining, we're allowing, oh, woe is me, is damaging your life. It is stealing the years off your life. Every, 
Every negative thought is a fire ant. Is a fire ant. You will not let fire ants go free in your yard and you should not let them go free in your brain. And it's what we think, what we allow ourselves to dwell on that changes, makes who we are. And that's what he says in Philippians 4.8 when he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. These are eight descriptive words of Philippians 4.8 that are eight filters. And he is saying, put your thoughts through these eight filters. And when you get them through the eight filters, they will be good thoughts. And change the way you interpret your life, change the way you see your future, change the way you see your present, even change the way you see your past. And the battle is the battle for your life. For who you are on the inside. Now bring all of these four keys together. Philippians 4, 7 sort of puts it all together. And here's what he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, when you do these four things, worry doesn't make your life better. I accept that to be true. I'm going to stop this. It's nonsense. It doesn't even help me. Second of all, I am going to choose to start with prayer instead of end with prayer the next time I have a problem in my life. I'm going to put pray, uh, the problem on pause. I am going to rehearse in my heart who God is, what God does for me before I ever deal with the problem. I'm going to develop a thankful heart. I'm going to stop talking about everything that's bad, everything that's wrong, everything that's terrible. I'm going to stop it. All I'm doing is killing myself. I am going to start being thankful to God for the good things and in the bad things. And I am going to develop this virtual cycle, virtuous cycle in my brain. And I'm going to see through different lenses. And as I do it, I will live longer. And I'm going to mind my own mind. And these four things gives us peace and people will be willing to do anything for peace of mind peace of mind and peace of heart people do anything for that well this is what you do and here's what he says it will surpass this peace that god gives to you will surpass all comprehension it won't even make sense people are looking at your life and saying how in the world are you so peaceful given what's going on in your life <laughs> there's no explanation of it except god it is obvious god is in the middle of this moment in my life God's peace is a gift to you. It is a gift that cannot be explained or duplicated or fabricated or understood. It is a sense of peace that comes over your life because you obeyed these four principles. And this is why Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4 says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always for the Lord God is the eternal rock. And I'm going to tell you something. There are people that have not seen you. If you do this, if I do this, there are people that have not seen you in 10 years and they already think 
of you the way you have been. And when they see you again, they are going to be saying, who are you? What happened to you? Who in the world are you? Because God will have so transformed your life. Does this, is this a promise for everybody? No, it's not. It is a promise for those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So my question is, would you give your heart to Christ? Would you choose Jesus today? Those of you who are watching online, would you give your heart to Jesus? You tuned in today, and it's not by accident. You were to hear this message today. All of those who are in attendance in person today, you were here on for, for the reason of God for you to be here, to hear this message. This is God's word for you. But the promise is only if you know Jesus. So if you have not given your heart to Christ, would you give your heart to Jesus today? And I'm going to tell you how you can. Those of you who are watching online, when I get finished, there will be a virtual next step center where you call or email or not, not email, you call or go online and there will be a real live human being that you'll talk to and will help you come to know Jesus as your savior. Do that today. And those of you who are in person on any of the services, any of the campuses, when this service is over, there is a real live physical next step center on that campus. And your campus pastor will show you how to get there, but go and talk to someone, a minister about how you can know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and make that difference today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We love you. We're thankful for you. And we ask, Father, that you would teach us these truths. Help us put these truths into our heart more and more and more and more so that over a period of time, our life is changed. Our life is lengthened. But the quality of our life has been so vastly improved. Teach us, Father, how to live the way you teach us to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.